Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, through the years, uh, people uh, will call and they'll ask questions about us as a church. And uh, I think it happens with every church. Uh, they'll say, okay, what do you, you know, there's been so much change in the church. It's like, I remember years ago, you know, one of the questions was, do you wear a suit when you preach? And... Uh, you know, I still wore a suit and I'd say yes. And they're like, well, we don't really like those guys that aren't wearing suits anymore. And then, then there was the question of, do you guys have a hymnal or do you guys do it off of the screen? And, uh, it was always kind of interesting because, you know, if I said a hymnal, you know, they were like looking for screens. And if I said, no, we use screens, then they were looking for hymnals. And, you know, it's just those kinds of questions. And, uh, you know, Questions about our programming, sometimes questions about our theology and all that stuff. And uh, there's a question that uh, we haven't had in a long time. And I'm really kind of curious about it, and I really have some opinions as to why we haven't gotten that question, because I don't think people are asking that question. But it used to be, used to be, say, 15 years ago and before, I'd get the question, do you guys do practice church discipline? And it was always interesting to, uh, to uh, get that question because people would want to know. I mean, what do you guys think about that stuff? And I never really could know what were they thinking. Were they someone who was just sick and tired of their church and how uh, their church seemed to ignore sin and didn't practice church discipline? Or were they someone who had been disciplined or felt like the church had disciplined someone and was way too harsh? But you know what's interesting? I bet it's been 15 years at least since someone has called and asked about church discipline. Like I said, I've got some opinions about it, but uh, it's interesting. That's one of those things that we used to talk a lot about, but we don't talk about it too much anymore. Well, today, actually, we're going to talk about it. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew's telling of Jesus' story, and uh, we're now in that section of the story where Jesus is preparing his disciples to be the leaders of the church, and uh, the kingdom is going to be delayed. It's kicked down the road. The people are rejecting him or in the process of rejecting him. And so the kingdom is going to come, but it's going to be delayed. And in the meantime, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And when you get to Matthew 18, Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for life after the cross as heads of the church, if you will. and Interestingly, in chapter 18, it's mostly about personal responsibility. He's, he's not just talking to them as a group. He's talking about 
individual responsibility. And uh, one of the things he starts off with is you need to be very childlike in your devotion, in your humility, in your attitude. Let me just, let me just direct your attention to what he says here. Look at, look at verse 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to him and they said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were always trying to figure out, you know, they were 12 guys and they were always jockeying for position. And he called a child to himself and stood in the, stood him in their midst. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he's the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, well... There's a lot of things that are better for him. We'll just stop there. But essentially what Jesus is saying is the secret to what I'm about to say is you guys have need to have that childlike innocence, that, that childlike humility, that childlike faith to receive and practice this stuff that I'm going to talk to you about. And the next subject he talks to them about is how they need to remove stumbling stones in people's lives and in their own lives. We're actually just going to skip that passage and move to the next passage just to so that, you know, we don't spend the next 12 years in Matthew. I mean, we can't do it all. But today what we're going to do is we're going to skip all the way to to verse 15 because what he talks about there is about responding to an unrepentant sinner. And that attitude that we're supposed to have of being like a child, of having that childlike faith, that childlike innocence, that is so essential to responding to an unrepentant sinner. Some believer who falls into sin but will not acknowledge it. Instead is kind of shaking their in Christ's fa- in God's face. So, so look down at verse 15, and what I want to do is I just want to read these five verses to you, and then we're going to kind of talk through them and make sure we understand what they have to say, because, you know, as I said, we're, we're talking about church discipline here today, that thing that for some reason people are not curious about anymore. And this is kind of like ground zero. This is the core passage that gives us the guidance. There's a lot of other passages that speak into this passage, but this is like the core. Look what he says, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Let him be like an unbeliever. 
Truly, I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. This might sound familiar. This is exactly what Jesus said to Peter two two, uh, chapters earlier in chapter 16, after Peter declared Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he gave him the keys of the kingdom, and he said, you've got the authority to bind. Now it's like Jesus is expanding that authority, not just to Peter, but to all of these disciples. Verse 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So what is Jesus talking about? In this little paragraph that he wanted to deal with, to talk to the disciples about, he is basically telling them how to respond to sin. What do I do? What do you do when someone in our circle, a believer in our circle, falls into sin and will not repent, will not acknowledge it? Instead, is basically like shaking their fist in God's face and saying, so what? I, you know, I'm, I'm tough. Uh, I think it's really important to keep in mind that this is unrepentant sin. I mean, because here's the truth. What do you do when a believer sins? Man, we, we deal with that several times a day. There isn't one of us here that doesn't step off of the path pretty regularly. And, and so it's not, not a matter of you sin, you confess it, and all that. that that's that, that, that you know, interactive relationship that all of us have with Jesus Christ, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. What about that person who has gotten to that point in his or her life who is just saying, you know what, I'm just doing this. I'm sick of it. The circumstances of my life have made it so that I am, I'm, I'm going full speed ahead. And I know what the church says, and I know what the preachers say, and, you know, they can even point it out to the Bible and say, I know it's in there, but, it, I mean, you just can't do that. I mean, that thing's 2,000 years old. I'm going this way. What do you do with that? I'm sure you've probably been in an experience when, when you have had a brother or sister in Christ that has gotten to that point. How do we respond? How do we, and, and again, this is kind of the individual. Remember, I, this is like this whole chapter is, is about personal responsibilities. It's not just how the church as a corporation responds to it. This is how you, as an individual follower of Jesus Christ, respond to it. How do you respond to that? Well, as you can see, just by looking through the passage, he basically lays out some steps, and here's the first step. You go. You go to that person, and you talk. Now, let, let's go back and look at verse 15. If your brother sins, and some of you maybe have a, a translation that adds, if a brother sins against you. I, I don't think the words against you were part of the original text. They seem to be an addition 
several hundred years later. If you go back to the most, the oldest and most reliable manuscripts, it just says, if a brother sins. In a way, uh, that kind of gave us a little bit of a cop-out. Well, this person's in sin, but it ain't against me, so I guess I don't have to do anything. I, that, that was evidently probably something that some copyist maybe added in just for clarity or something. But I think actually the original thing that Matthew wrote, that the Holy Spirit inspired, was if a brother sins, here's what you do. And, and let me, before I move on to that, let me put a little emphasis on that word brother. Uh, this is someone within your circle, if you will, someone within your sphere of influence. I mean, I mean, I could sit in my neighborhood and I can look, you know, down the street and I can see that person over there who I think is a believer, goes to another church, but I have no relationship with them. I haven't even spoken to them in four years. I see them in sin. That isn't mine. You know, I know there were brothers and sisters in Christ in the big story, but I don't even know the guy's name, and he doesn't know me. The only thing he knows about me is I, he's the kid that had all the he's the guy that had all the children and did his own yard work. You know, because I live in a neighborhood where everyone does their own, gets someone else to do their own yard work. But other than that, he doesn't know anything about me, and he's kind of heard that I was a preacher, but he's not even sure about that anymore. So there's a relationship here. There, there is, there is, you know, I'm in his circle, he's in my circle, and when you have someone in your circle, in your sphere of fellowship, if you will, and that person sins, look what he says, go and reprove him in private. Go and, and, and talk to him. Uh, go and discuss the matter with him in private. Now, fortunately, other places in Scripture talk about this and how you do this. And one of those good passages that tell us a little bit more light, give us a little bit more light on that is Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 tells us a little bit more about how to handle that. So keep your finger here in Matthew 18, because we're going to come back to it. It's our primary passage. But I want you to go over to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, and the first uh, several verses of that chapter shed a lot of light on this topic that Jesus is talking about here. Matthew 18 is Jesus' instructions. Matthew uh, Galatians 6 is the Apostle Paul writing about the same topic. Look what he says, Galatians 6.1. He says, brothers, even if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, a lot of stuff there. But let me just put a spotlight on two of them. Uh, he says, you who are spiritual. And initially, we'd look at that and we'd say, let's me off the hook. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not spiritual. I'm humble and, you know, I'm still learning. I'm advanced. I haven't gotten to the elite status, whatever that status is. That's really actually the wrong way of understanding it. When Paul talks about being spiritual, he is talking about the, a spiritual sensitivity that, that you could have shortly after you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. This isn't talking about the person that's known the Lord just for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. They're the spiritual ones. He's talking more about a state. Those of you that are spiritually minded, spiritually sensitive enough, you're walking with the Lord and you look and you see in the life of someone else this sin. And it's like the Holy Spirit is, is, is pointing it out to you and you're seeing it and you're bothered by it. And it's like somebody's got to do something. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you're that someone. You're a spiritual person. This isn't just, you know, oh, we got to, you know, you've known the Lord forever. You've been in church forever. Can you go talk to him? I see it. No, I mean, when you are walking with the Lord, even as a, a, quote, young believer, when you see someone who has fallen into sin, who has trespassed, God is saying, you go. That, so, so the first thing is, you who are spiritual. The second word I want you to notice there is the word restore. And that was all through Matthew 18. The whole goal of these kind of discussions is restoration. It is not just because you want to get something off your chest. It is not just because you... You know, it's been a little while since you since you've been able to go rebuke someone, and I need to rebuke somebody and get it out there. You know, quite frankly, if that's your attitude, you probably need to shut your mouth. Your 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 goal is to go restore. And you know what's interesting about that word restore? It's actually a medical term of setting the bone straight. Like when a bone gets broken. A great coincidence. Check this out on the screen here. Uh, most of you know, I grew up in Utah. My family loves to ski. Uh, it's in the Hornock blood all the way through. My nephew, actually my great nephew, my brother Doug's grandson, 13 years old, was skiing earlier this week. Check that out in the, in the circle there. That's his arm. And he's the little Sam. He's 13 years old. Uh, you know, when you're 13 years old, they probably should take your skis away till you get to be uh, 21, because what you do as a teenager on skis is, is lethal sometimes. And uh, But anyway, Sam not only broke his leg, don't have an x-ray of the leg, but he broke his arm. That Look at that thing. And so tomorrow, because they had to let it sit for a few days, I guess till the swelling went down, tomorrow he's going to have surgery and some doctor is going to restore that bone, set it straight. When you go to that person, you're going spiritually minded. And you're not going there just to retaliate, not to say, I told you so, not to just kind of 
trump them with a higher card that, you know, you got this going on in your life. I've never had that. I just really need to, you know, in an arrogant way. The whole purpose is restoration. So you're going there spiritually minded, humble, childlike, with a childlike innocence, remember the first part of the passage, to restore, to bring that person back to repentance. Go back to Matthew 18. So what does Jesus say? Verse 15, if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you've won the brother. And obviously the word listens is listens so as to implement. It's not just listens to you, then blows you off, and then moves you on your way. It's listens and, and heeds the, the warning and does indeed repent, does indeed come to the knowledge of the truth that, yeah, that behavior is not what it should be. You've won your brother. So you go. Now let me just stop right here. That's church discipline. That, that, that's the first step of church discipline. And did it involve Fellowship Bible Church, Inc.? Did it involve Richard Hornock, pastor? Andy Tuttleby, pastor? No, it involved you. As an individual, as a loving brother or sister in Christ, that, that, my friends, right there, that's how the church should function. And notice, it was all in private. And quite frankly, you know, whether I ever heard about it or Andy ever heard about it or any of the elders ever heard about it, we don't need to hear about it. That is you talking to a brother or sister in Christ and helping them see the light. You're basically going there and being kind of the arms and legs and, and eyes, ears, mouth, and nose of the Holy Spirit to help that person see the truth. And when they listen and heed, that's a win. That's a victory. That, that's when the church is functioning as it should. Is there arrogance? No. It's childlike. It's humble. It's private. It's, it, it's, it should, that should be something that's happening regularly. And you know what? I, I look back over the, the, the time. I've had so many people come to me that have said things to me. Just a good, apt word. And I don't, I don't know that, you know, I was necessarily in sin, but maybe I was doing something that was really pretty foolish or unwise. Or they could hear an edge in my voice as I preached or as I taught or as I counseled. They could see some behavior that wasn't becoming someone in church leadership. And you know what? Those were people that God used in my life to, say, to, to help me, I think, be more Christ-like. They've come to me. Did they go out and, you know, broadcast it? I don't think so. Did they brag, hey, you know, I set the preacher straight the other day. 
If they did, you know, I'm glad I'm not on social media. So, or at least not much. I guess I am now a little bit. But you know what I'm saying? That should be happening. And you know what? I should welcome it. You should welcome it. Let me ask you, if someone took you out to lunch tomorrow and said, you know, help me out here. I, I'm seeing this in your life. Maybe it is something in your life that isn't becoming a believer. Maybe, maybe it really is sin. And, and you're like, you and God, we're, we're wrestling about that. I love that expression. What a stupid expression. God's right. You're wrong. Let's just get it out. If you're wrestling with God, you're like Jacob, and you better be careful. He might do something to your hip, you know? But here's the deal. If someone did that, would you welcome it? Let me ask you, if there's someone in that situation, would you be willing to take them out to lunch tomorrow? And would you condition and make sure you're spiritually minded, humble, childlike, with a childlike innocence, and go there, not so that you can say, I told you so, not so that you can retaliate, not so that you can one-up them, but just, I love you, and I desire better things for you. Let's talk about this. Could you do that? Because that's really and truly, I think, one of the key elements of when the church really starts to function like the church should in a healthy way. Well, look what he says. Verse 16, if the person doesn't listen, you take two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. It's kind of interesting uh, commentators on this passage, they're a little unsure just who these witnesses are. Are these people who also see the same sin, or are they just people who are going to be, you know, ignorant of the sin, but they're basically in a good position to be an arbitrator and say, oh, man, I, you know, haven't seen that, haven't noticed that, but boy, Jack, that really is something you ought to correct. One thing we do know for certain about these witnesses, just by assumption, is they ought to be people who are spiritually minded, just like you should be spiritually minded in the first place, and they're there for restoration. They're there not to, you know, feel good about the fact that I got called in as an expert witness. I'm there to help, and it's still a private situation. Look at verse 17. If that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. Here's where it gets a little bit more dicey. Here's where it gets a little more complicated. What does that mean? Does that mean you interrupt the, the, the service right now? You know, hey, hey, I got, got something I got to make sure you guys all know. Does that mean you find me out in the lobby before church and say, hey, I got an announcement I need to make? That always kind of makes me nervous, you know? Now, if it's someone saying, hey, I'm organizing the next bridal shower, can I make an announcement? Yeah, here's the mic. You know, what is it you wanted to announce? No, that, I, I don't think it is. I mean, in, in this day and age, one of the things we got to be careful about it, I think what that means, the, the wisest way you do it, that's when you do 
involve the church leadership. That is when you say something to me, you say something to Andy, you say something to one of the guys on the board. Maybe, maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to one of us, you say something to one of our wives. Uh, we each of us only have one wife. I never knew how to really do that, okay? But you say one something to one of the wives, just so that we know. And you know what we normally do? We normally repeat the whole process. You know, if, if no one knows who that person is or no one feels like they're in that person's circle, I'm usually the one that gets the, the straw that goes and pretends like I'm in their circle so that I really can talk to them. But we repeat the whole process. We talk to them. And then we maybe talk to them again with someone. And, and we're going after them. Why? For the, for the purpose of trying to restore them, to bring them back into alignment with the holiness of God. And we're talking. And we're seeking to, to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, if, if, if the matter persists, then you do have to make it known. And again, it's almost on a case-by-case basis that we've handled it, and I think that's the wisest thing to do it. I mean, who, who is it you make it known to? Does it mean, mean need to be made known to anyone and everyone or just someone's circle within the church? Do you do it if the person has, you know, filled out their form and signed and said, we are members of the church, or do you just do it with the person that has been coming here for eight years and still never has joined the church, you know, a regular attender? Who do you do that with? And be honest, we have done that with in several different situations. We, we've, we've walked through this process. Sometimes before we get all the way through that process, that person is bolted ran down the street, joined some other church, distanced themselves, and, you know, put us in a position like, you know, what? how are we going to even handle it? And it's hard. And I'll tell you what, I struggle with it almost every time. But there's been, there's been times, you know, wasn't really a, 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 a discipline issue, but there's been times we've read statements. Uh, some of you maybe have, that have good memories maybe remember some of those situations. There's been times, I, I remember one really vividly, this person was not a member of our church, had kind of kept an arm's length relationship, but I mean, he was just hell-bent on divorcing his wife for no good reason. She was a believer, he was a believer, she was a new believer, but uh, there was no grounds for divorce at all, but he was ready and willing and wanting to divorce her. And we talked to him and talked to him and talked to him, and finally we wrote him a letter as a non-member, we, you know, we, we didn't feel like that we could make it to the public announcement thing, but we wrote him a letter and basically said, you know what, we are going to enact that last step of the process. Go back to the passage. See what he says in verse 17? You treat him as an unbeliever. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Just another way of saying, treat him, even though he is a believer, treat him as an unbeliever. Well, how do we treat unbelievers? Well, I hope, I hope unbelievers feel 
welcome here. I hope they feel loved here. I hope they feel uh, appropriately accepted here. I'm sure there's, there might be some unbelievers here today, this morning. And that's what we want for anyone and everyone that comes here. But you know, when a person is a known unbeliever, after a little while, you, you, there, there is a difference. There is a difference in how we relate to believers who are walking in truth and how we relate to unbelievers. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, uh, there are certain things that, that we won't ask unbelievers to do. If you're an unbeliever, you're not ever going to get asked to teach one of those classes down the hall in our children. If you're an unbeliever, you're never going to get asked to substitute for me or Andy. You're not going to be asked to lead worship next time Mike is out of town. You, you, you know, there, there's certain things that, that we, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this and just how to illustrate it. There, there have been people that are unbelievers, and I've known them for 20 years. And we have a good relationship. And, and you could say we, you know, in a way, the, the, the relationship gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I have met people on a plane that I'm only with them for two and a half hours. And I find out they're a believer. They find out I'm a believer. And I mean, in, I can't even hardly remember their name. And in those two and a half hours, our relationship gets super deep. Why? Because we're believers. And here's these unbelievers that I know, and that relationship is 15 times what it is with that unbeliever. It, it, there's just something about it. That, that's, that's what this last step is like. And it's just to go back to that, that antidote I was telling you about before. I mean, we wrote a letter, and we said, you know, we're, we're going to treat you as an unbeliever. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And I kind of said it, and uh, he just kind of, you know, and I see him around town, but I've never seen him in church since then. He fled. Uh, but, but that's the basic process. And let me point out one more thing. Look, look back in verse 17, where he says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you. See that word, you? If you got a paper Bible, underline it. And maybe draw a line to the margin and then write me. Because that word you is not plural. That's not in instruction to us as a corporation, a group. That is us, instruction to us as an individual. That's a singular noun there. It's not a plural noun, as is so often used. Let him be to you, Richard. Let him to be to you, Sam. Let him to be to you, Garrett, as an unbeliever. You know, part of the, part of the problem with church discipline is that, yeah, the corporation made that uh, declaration, policy, set, but if everyone treats him the same, I mean, just confirms their notion that the church is irrelevant and an outdated entity, it doesn't matter. 
I mean, no. He, he's calling me to change my relationship with that believer who is stuck in sin. Who is stuck in sin. Now, as I talked about all this, 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 is, this is real church. This is how you and I need to function within the church. There, there, there's this sensitivity, and it's not like we're walking around saying, man, who can, I, who can I go restore this week, you know? I got a free lunch on Thursday. Okay, yep, I think that Sam over there needs some help. You know, I'm going to go point his sin. No, I, I think that it, th- this is just us as we're navigating through life. And again, let me just emphasize, it's unrepentant sin. Which, un- which fortunately is kind of rare, particularly in our fellowship. Often, you know, we see sin all the time. You guys look at sin every Sunday, to be honest. But, but by God's grace, it's repentant sin. It, it's like, I know, I, you know, and it, you confess. We're not talking about that. That's, that. Those are sermons for another day. We're talking here about someone who says, you know what, I, I, I know what that Bible says, and I just ain't going to do it. I mean, I, I can't. This, this is one time I just can't go there. I can't stay in that marriage. I can't stay in that relationship. I, you know, I know what it says about your money on that one thing, but I just ain't going to do it. And I've met people like that, and you've met people like that. Perhaps sometimes we've been like that. And thankfully, God somehow set up a system, and this is the system, as to how it should be remedied. And he's provided it. And, and one, of the, one of the big keys to making this system work is being in the circle. See, here's the problem. You know, what normally happens is, is we drift far, 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 far out to the periphery, and then it becomes known that, boy, so-and-so, I mean, that, that, that's going on in their life. And I mean, you know, they're not changing. They're not, this, isn't, this isn't something they're struggling with. This is something they're just set in. And it's like, who can go talk to them? Well, by that time, hardly anyone knows them. Okay, yeah, we're brothers in Christ, just like I'm brothers with Christ with, you know, all the other believers in Texarkana that I don't know. But there's no relationship. This is, this is one reason, folks, when I talk about running to the center of the church, it's because when you're in the center of the church, you have put yourself in a position so that if you get sucked into sin, steeped into sin, and, and, and in the, the carnality of your heart, you, you stay stuck in that sin, there are people in your circle who love you and are willing to do the awkward thing that God calls them to do, and they'll come to you. And they'll bring some friends to you. And they'll even try to pull the full force of the church to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. That's what the church is supposed to be like. But it only really effectively can happen when you stay 
connected into the church. When you, when you drift to the, to the, to the periphery, you know, emotionally, participation wise, you know, oh, I, I never see those people. They're, they're, that's not who I do life with. I go to that church, but I don't really do life with those people. Man, you have put yourself out there and you're just a sitting duck for Satan. And when you get stuck in sin, you, as, as Galatians 6 says, when you get caught in a trespass, unfortunately, there's no one to rescue you. There's no one that can come to you. I mean, people know you, but it's like some guy that I used to know 14 months ago is now all of a sudden concerned about the fact that I'm leaving my wife. Where have you been the last 14 months? Well, okay, shame on us, but is there some shame there on your part? Did you strategically move? You know, this is insurance, folks, to, to help us walk with Jesus Christ in holiness. You know, you might also look at that, that list there and say, you know, what, what century is he living in? That doesn't work. I mean, and I'll be honest, I, I haven't, I've, I've seen it work in the first couple steps, but I, I, not very often do you ever see it work when you get down to that third or fourth step. Sometimes. But that's rare. And so you could sit and say, maybe God needs to, you know, hire some MBA to help him figure out the system a little better. But let, but let me just say this. We don't do this, and God doesn't call you to do it, because it works. This isn't a utilitarian approach to theology. We do this for three reasons. The holiness of God, the grace of God, and the goodness of God. The holiness of God. God calls his children to walk in holiness. And the church is the bride of Christ. And for the church and the people of Christ, the community of Christ, to tolerate sin and just ignore it and act like it's no big deal, that is just spitting in the face of a holy God. It's the holiness of God that is, is there. We don't go to someone because we think this is going to work or because it's going to make us feel better or whatever. We go to that someone because the holiness of God is at stake. And we're calling them back based on the grace of God. Because we've got a God that is forgiving. We've got a God that is loving. We've got a God that in his, in his infinite wisdom chose to leave our old heart in there even though he gave us a new heart and he wants us to struggle to bring that holiness about. And he's put the Holy Spirit in us to, to bring about that purity, to refine us. But that is all God's grace that practical sanctification that is at work, that, that points to God's goodness. I mean, do we not have a good God? I mean, I can get stuck in sin, and I can get so stuck in sin that I'm blinded to it, that some of my 
close friends, my spouse, my kids can come to me and I'll say, and they'll come bring a couple other people and I'll still do that. And it could even get to the point where, you know, maybe they're even reading a letter to the church about me. And then they start treating me as an unbeliever. But when I repent, no matter where it is in that stage, even if it's after that last stage, when I repent, boy, what an incredible God. Is that not a testimony to the goodness of God? That he is that that father that welcomes back the prodigal? And is not that not a, a testimony to the goodness of God that he lets me and he lets you be part of the process of helping that person get out of the pig pen and come back to that loving father who welcomes them back and puts shoes on our feet and a new fresh clean robe on our back? It's the holiness of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. That is why we would do something like this. Let me ask you, when you read a passage like this, does this excite you about being part of the church of God? Does this excite you about being a a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Because, I mean, folks, this is real life. Because we all fall into sin. And sometimes by God's grace, our heart is sensitive and the Holy Spirit works in our life and we quickly repent. But sometimes all of us could get into that and we stay in that sin for a long time. And God has put people in our lives and he said, go rescue, restore, don't be arrogant, humble, childlike, innocent, go. And when that brother, that sister, when I come back, it's like heaven rejoices. It's like the prodigal son, let's kill the fatted lamb. That's the God that we have. That's what you get to be involved in. That's real life. That's real life. You get to be part of the process, and guess what? When you need the process, the process is there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the the real bluntness of Scripture when it comes to this. And Father, I thank you that uh, with you it's not one and done. It's not even uh, anything, Father. It, you, are, you are seeking us to bring us back to yourself. And I thank you, Father, that you count us worthy to be part of that process. And Father, I I don't know, perhaps as I've been talking about this, maybe you have brought to mind situations that 
uh, some individuals here might be aware of. And perhaps your spirit has been nudging them and saying, you go, you go. Don't just stand by, you go. Go like a child, go humbly, go innocently, but you go. Father, I pray that if that has happened today, I pray that we would be obedient and we'd go. Father, perhaps there's someone here that uh, no one's gone to them. None of this has even happened, but Father, truth of the matter is there is a sin. And they're unrepentant about it. They re- they're really having a disagreement with you about that element in their life. And I pray, Father, that today, just through being exposed to some teaching that's based on your holiness, I pray, Father, even without someone coming to them, I pray that today they would repent and they would forsake that sin. It never would even have to get to step one because the Holy Spirit took care of it without involving any humans. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that is in that situation, I pray, Father, you'd really shake their heart. I pray, Father, you'd make them feel whatever they need to feel so that they would come into conformity with your will, your holiness. They would enjoy the grace that you've extended. And rather than seeing this as uh, harsh or antiquated, they'd recognize this is just you in your goodness calling your children back home. So Lord, thank you for uh, what we've seen today. And we invite you to work in the appropriate way. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.